Before we, um, we read the scripture here from 2 Timothy, I just want to say uh, thank you. Thank you to all of you who have expressed concern and encouragement and especially prayed for us during this time. Jody's been so sick. Um, and the kindness you have shown us, the encouragement you've shown us, uh, is, is nothing new to what I've seen in this congregation in so many ways. Uh, this is a kind congregation. We take prayer seriously. And so thank you for that. And, um, you know, the, the Bible says to uh, God's people, uh, be kind to each other. And that's the gift we have, one of the gifts we have in Christ, to love each other, to, to show it. So thank you for that. Um, and the other thing is, very quickly, Jody's coming along, so, and I'm glad she's, uh, she's able to be home now. Um, please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to read a big chunk of uh, the first chapter of 2 Timothy, but I'm not going to focus on um, the early part as much as I'm going to on the later parts today. Hear God's word. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray to hear it now. Lord Jesus, in your earthly ministry, you told some religious leaders in your own homeland in Palestine, uh, you, you put them in their place. You told them that you didn't believe they, they didn't believe in you. 
and that they were because they were wrong. They were wrong about the scriptures. They didn't know the scriptures or the power of God. Lord, we don't want to be like that in this body. So by the presence of your spirit, help us to know the scriptures and therefore to know your power. Build your church, Lord. Build Olive Street. Build the churches in our presbytery. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. As we enter, uh, we have just entered a new year of service to Christ from 2022 to 2023. Um, how can we remind ourselves? How can we know our own priorities? Uh, we have to... We have to remember what's important, including the certainty of persecution. That's not the only thing, but it's one of the things. We don't want to forget about that. Christ has given his people uh, the Great Commission, and that is that um, there are people in the world who, as we once were, the church now, are lost in sin and misery in each generation, and they have many questions uh, that they sometimes ask the church, sometimes they ask themselves, and often, usually, what they give themselves is the wrong answers. And Christ has given us the right answers in himself. So we need to prepare for the worst to offer the best. That's the title of the sermon, and we'll move, you'll see how we move into that. Prepare for the worst to offer the best. Paul is speaking to Timothy, his young pastoral associate, his young pastoral co-worker, who oversaw the church that Paul planted with Timothy and others in Ephesus. But also Paul is speaking in general not just to formal ordained preachers and evangelists in the New Testament, not just to pastors today, but to all of us who love the Lord Jesus and want to follow him as to please him. This year, in Olive Street Presbyterian Church, with the influence of Olive Street Presbyterian Church, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to focus on as we carry out this great commission. Look around you. Look around you as Jesus did. Watch the news. See the people around you, your neighbors, in your own family, see your own needs. And Christ has united you to himself by dying for you when you were spiritually harassed and helpless. And with the gratitude that you feel by the Holy Spirit to Christ for doing that, when he points, that that points out that that is still an issue in the world, you should have compassion for the world, for Christ's sake. When Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why did he feel compassion for them? Because... They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were guilty. They were culpable because they were sinners, but also they were in bondage to this sin, and they were bringing sin and misery 
on themselves. That's the way people are. And I appreciate the fact that when Pastor John preached the Advent sermons, he highlighted the fact that the Father sent the Son into the world, which is helpless and hopeless. The first point I want to look at this morning uh, is the curse, the curse of death. You see the text there from Romans. I will uh, get that in just a minute. The curse of death. I prepared a lot of this sermon before Jody got so sick. Um, in fact, we didn't know it at the time until she was in the hospital. They said, if you'd waited another day, you'd be in glory. Now, they didn't say in glory, but, uh, but praise God, she's recovering now. Uh, but because I saw that firsthand, it seems much more relevant, this curse of death. Um, but while she was in the hospital, I think it was in the room next to hers at Chester County Hospital, a family, a family lost one of their members. And I remember walking down the hall to see my wife, and the family comes out. They're, they've left the hospital. The doctor has given them good news. I mean, I'm sorry, he's given them bad news. And uh, the staff are saying, I'm sorry, and they're weeping. The curse of death is all around us. Um, here's a question. One of the many questions that the world has in 2023, just as in any other year, and that is, where does death come from? Where does death come from? Why do people die? Why will we all die? In the 1600s, 17th century, a pastor in London named Ralph Venning, Ralph Venning, uh, pastored a church that was um, there during the Great Plague in London. And there were about 400,000 people in London, and when the plague went through, they lost about a quarter of their population. Just like we've lost people to COVID and, and other things. And four years later, Venning wrote a book with the interesting title of The Plague of Plagues. The Plague of Plagues. In other words, the king, the granddaddy, the monster of all plagues. Now, people in London were just then, because human nature never changes, they didn't want to die just like people in America in 2020, 2021, 2022, and we'll see what happens in 2023. No one wants to die of plague or pneumonia or anything. But listen, please, listen, please to the satiric but true headline in the Babylon Bee. It appeared in December 2021. This is a fake headline, but they, they kind of clue into society, and then they hit people up with it. Alarming new study finds that everyone who got COVID will die at some point. You know, from time to time, I see obituaries that begin something like this. They're, they're highlighting the life of somebody of distinction, say, maybe a Holocaust survivor, survivor, 
And um, the headline for the obituary re will read something like, Holocaust survivor 102, 102 dies. Holocaust survivor dies. You can abbreviate that, and I'm not saying this to be flippant. You could just say survivor dies. Or you could say survivor doesn't survive. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. Why? Well, back to Pastor Ralph Venning. The subtitle of his book, The Plague of Plagues, is this. The Sinfulness of Sin. The Sinfulness of Sin. In other words, as God told Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will surely die. Think of all the causes of death. We think of COVID, of course. We've mentioned that. We mentioned the 17th century plague. People die of heart attacks. Some people take their own lives. Some people have strokes. But really, the Bible teaches us that all those things and so many more are just secondary causes. The primary cause of death is our righteous creator's just response to unrighteousness. In Romans 5, you see that on the screen. The Apostle Paul, I've, I've uh, condensed this just a little bit, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all men, all people, because all sinned. There used to be a Latin phrase when people spoke Latin more often that everybody knew the meaning of, memento mori. Remember, you must die. Remember, you must die. Matthew McCullough, who is a Reformed pastor, I'm not sure where he serves, somewhere in the United States, uh, recently wrote a death that I'd uh, a death uh, a, 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 a book for every I recommend this for every Christian to read. It's called Remember Death, and actually it's a book with a lot of hope because of the gospel. But remember death. My uh, my neighbor across the street from me, um, his first name is Lee. I've mentioned him more than once. Uh, my neighbor recently lost his mother after she suffered from dementia for several years. And, uh, and then the only, the only living creature my neighbor had, because he's been divorced twice, uh, and he doesn't get along with his children very well, was his little Scotty dog. And he loved the little dog. You know, if you have pets, you know, you like them sort of, not like other people, or at least you shouldn't. Um, but... Um, then he had to have Scotty put to sleep. And I go over and I talk with him. And he's so gloomy and he's so weighed down. And he says, I'm not a religious man. And I share the gospel with him, usually in bits and pieces. Um, and he says, you know, without having to think about it, when I'm lying awake at night, I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. So... That's that stained glass window, by the way. It's telling you, look at this beautiful work of art. Um, so, so the world, 
without Christ, the world in spiritual death is helpless and hopeless. In, um, in a, recently, a recently published um, Anglican catechism called To Be a Christian, an Anglican Catechism, uh, J.I. Packer, who was the senior editor of that until he passed away, um, question five reads this, can you save yourself from the way of sin and death? Can you save yourself? And the answer is no. For sin has corrupted my conscience, confused my mind, and captured my will. Rico Tice, in his Christianity Explored series, says sinners without God are going to hell. Sinners without God are going to hell. This is part of the gospel message. God, in one sense, God is the righteous executioner. He has, he has sentenced the human race, but for his grace, to, to die because of sin. Will we communicate that message? That's often something we want to do uh, when we're talking to non-Christians. Will we communicate this in 2023? Listen, certainly it was part of Paul's message and Timothy's message, and I hear it here in this church. If we preach faithfully, if we converse faithfully as Christians, we must include the curse of death. How does the gospel, which this bad news is part of, how does, this, how does the gospel answer that? And that brings us to point number two. The life of the gospel. Can anyone beat death? Can anyone abolish death? And the answer is yes, and this is part of the gospel, because this righteous executioner, God our creator and judge, is also the righteous redeemer. He saves sinners. Look at verses 9 and 10. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, look at this. The appearance of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death, and who brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's the next thing we want to emphasize when we preach and converse the gospel. This is the great righteous redeemer's cure for death, redemption in Christ. This is the power and, and the truth of the gospel. Notice Paul's esteem for the word of God. Notice the terms he uses in verses 13 and 14. He says to Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. I think you can loosely train, you can loosely translate sound words as healthy words and also sane words. These are life-giving words. He says next to Timothy in verse 14, 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit, the good deposit entrusted to you. J.H. Bovink, in his book on the art, the, the art and Science of Missions, says, this is the great word, the great word that must be said. Only in Christ Jesus can lost sinners find what Oswald Chambers says is this. Slowly and surely, I begin to live a life of order and sanity and holiness. To offer the world the best in 2023, to make this our continuing priority, we must declare the answer to the question, why does everybody die and how can sinners rise from the dead? The Lord Jesus Christ has called you and he's called me to be faithful ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? Paul Tripp says the ambassador represents God's message he represents God's methods, and he represents God's character. So we know what we must do in 2023, but some people don't want this gospel. Some people vigorously oppose it. Some people are dead set against it. Some people will go to great lengths all over the world to prevent Christ ambassadors from spreading this word. And this brings us to point three, spiritual opposition. There are people who will persecute other people who love the gospel and who share the gospel and who believe the gospel. Now, I was not here last week uh, but I understand from Pastor John that he preached from Mark chapter 8. And you'll remember that in Mark chapter 8, Jesus makes it very plain what serving him and taking up his cross involves. It involves the fact that he puts his disciples strategically in, quote, an adulterous and sinful generation. Jesus says, if you serve me, I expect you to be faithful, and oh, by the way, they won't love you because they don't love me. So how should we respond if we have, we have the splendid gospel answer to so many questions, including, including the, the question, why do we die? Um, and the answer that um, Jesus died for sinners. What can we do? How should we respond? Especially when we're tempted, right? When we're tempted not to speak up. Or maybe in another country where there's lots of persecution, we're tempted because we don't want a beating. We're tempted because we don't, uh, we don't want to say anything to anybody because we don't want to lose our job or lose our family. So this is the way we should respond. In verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do not be ashamed and share in suffering 
for the gospel. So there are two responses that the apostle gives us, gives Timothy first and, and all of the church, two things we're supposed to do when people don't want to hear what we have to say. The first one is, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. In other words, be proud of the gospel. Be proud of the gospel. That's biblical. Psalm 34, 2 says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.24 says, Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In Galatians 6.14, the Apostle Paul says, Far be it from me to boast, except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you boast in the Lord, in the face of persecution, and in the face of the suffering that persecution will bring to you, he will provide what you need to share the gospel. In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. When I, when I first realized that if I, was, uh, if I was really a Christian, I would do things like go to church and, and uh, disciplinedly read my Bible and pray a lot, um, I was looking for a church the first morning uh, I'd been a Christian a little while, but I, I decided that um, because I didn't have a car, um, it was important if I couldn't drive anywhere to find a church, I'd just walk to church somewhere. So I'm going through my neighborhood, and uh, it so happens that one of my, uh, a man who became a good friend of mine, who later was in my wedding party, um, whose name was Monty. I'm carrying my Bible down the street, and that, I grew up in a, a Schofield reference Bible home, so I'm carrying my Bible. It's very visible. It's like there's a light on it, you know. Um, and I was self-conscious about that, but I was determined. And he came out of the back door of his girlfriend's apartment. He was taking out trash, and he'd been sleeping with his girlfriend. And he looked at me, and he said, Van Ness? What is that in your hand? And I said, Lord, here goes. I said, I've become a Christian, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm looking for a church. And he said, are you kidding? And I said, no, I'm serious. And he was shocked. And, um, and he knew where I lived. He said, I'm going to come and visit you. Well, long story short, he became a Christian. He became an avid churchgoer. His Bible was bigger than mine. <laughs> and I've had, other, I've had other experiences like that. I was in my dorm room once, and a, one, of my, uh, uh, one of my roommates brought in a friend who was kind of cynical, and I was sitting there at my desk reading the Bible. You know, and he says, why are you reading that? Why are you reading that? And I said, because I believe it. 
I did that because of the Holy Spirit in me. Will we bless the word with the good deposit? I mean, the, the world with the, blessed, uh, the, the good deposit. Will we bless the world with what the world thinks are controversial words that nobody should say in public? There's a, there's a Christian lawyer, he's been on TV a number of times too, named Hugh Hewitt. And back in the 90s, he wrote an interesting book called The Embarrassed Believer, which is about us. The Embarrassed Believer. And he has in one of his chapters, he has a list of the 12 most uh, um, of words that you shouldn't say in public if you're a Christian, going from the least controversial to the most controversial that can get you rejected. So here they are. We'll start with 12. Okay, so 12, you can use the word pretty much spirituality. Uh, 11 is belief system. 10 is religion. 9 is faith. 8 is uh, the term the divine. Number 7 is God. Um, then it starts to get a little bit more controversial. The, the, the Number 6 is Lord. Uh, number 5 is the spirit. Now, you may see them in a different order, but this is what he said. Number four, the Holy Spirit. Number three is Christ. Number two is Jesus. And number one is my Savior. My Savior. A little while ago, I watched a, a movie where a mafia boss uh, wants to get information from one of his little men who does all his dirty work for him. And this, this, the, the little guy, he's sitting there having dinner with a mafia boss, and, and, and the mafia boss wants the information, but uh, the, the little guy doesn't, he, he's reluctant to squeal on another man in the, in, the, in the organization. And the boss looks at him and says, now is not the time to not say. Jesus says to you and me every day, I love you, I've called you to myself, you were risen in me, now is not the time to not say. Be proud of the gospel. Do not be ashamed. So the other way in verse 8 that Paul says that we're to deal with persecution is this. Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to suffer. There are ways that you can prepare to be persecuted. Not that you want it, but in case it comes because it builds the church. Paul says share in suffering. One of the best reminders a pastor can give to his congregation. And thank God, a lot of pastors are doing it now. Uh, we hear it here from the pulpit, and that is remind the congregation over and over, persecution is coming to the American church. It is going to happen. You will not be able to escape it if you live faithfully for the Lord. But remember what we, we talked about earlier in the worship about the value of suffering. To offer the best, to offer the best, which is the gospel, you must prepare for the worst. Frederick Ferrer, who was a New Testament scholar well over 100 years ago, said about Paul, from conversion on, Paul's life was one continuous martyrdom. 
From conversion on, Paul's life was one continuous martyrdom. Are we prepared for the worst? Will we prepare ourselves? Many of us, many, many, many Christians in the world are prepared, and they stand firm. But are we prepared here in the United States where we've had it pretty easy as Christians and until you, you can see things pick up? Um, recently in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, um, Cole Richards, who's the editor and he's the director of Voice of the Martyrs, he said, uh, when, I, when I visit American churches, and that's where he lives in America, when, when I visit <coughs> American churches, and I talk to my fellow Christians here in the United States, he said, one word keeps coming to mind when I talk to other Christians. He said, and that's the word unprepared. Unprepared. So he wrote a great uh, three-part article called How to Prepare for Persecution. Uh, in the, the, first, the first way to prepare is don't neglect the means of grace. Decide on the non-negotiables. These things I will do. I will not give up these things because I want to nurture my relationship with the Lord. I want to be faithful. Don't neglect the means of grace. Never back off from what's crucial. Never. So you'll be faithful. You remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 and he feeds them. They're very hungry. And he does a miracle, he does a sign in the wilderness as he's preaching, and he feeds, he multiplies from five loaves, yeasty bread loaves, and two fishes. And then he leaves, and they follow him because they want more loaves and fishes, and he rebukes them, and he teaches them, and he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but... Work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. If you're a Christian, even if you're not persecuted, you need to lay hold all the time of the means of grace. Feed on the bread that never perishes. Stay faithful. Delight in Christ. Here's what J.C. Ryle says <clears throat> about that passage. He said, Christ tells us not to work, or to work not for bread that perishes, but for bread that endures eternally. He wants us to find food and satisfaction for our souls. He provides that food abundantly in himself, but we must diligently seek it. How do we do that? Here, now listen to what he says. We must read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. We must pray like men contending with a deadly enemy. We must take our whole hearts to God's house to worship him and hear him like those who are listening to the reading of a will. We must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil like those who fight for liberty and must, or be, and must conquer or be slaves. There's one thing he doesn't say there, although I know Ryle practiced this in his pastoral ministry, and that's we must partake of the sacraments. Ryle finishes, this is what we must do if we want to find Christ and be found in him. 
This is how we work for bread that doesn't perish. This is the secret of making progress in our souls. If you stay close to God, you will be more faithful in persecution. Don't neglect the means of grace. That's the first thing that Cole Richards says in his three-part series in Voice of the Martyrs magazine. The next issue, uh, I'm rewording what he wrote, but he basically says, keep the real war in mind. You know, I know when people talk in urgent tones, that's what really gets them going the most. Um, I hear a lot of Christians talking in urgent tones, capital U urgent tones, about not about the gospel, but about politics. So we need to keep the real world in mind. You want something that's worth talking about in urgent tones? Listen to the apostle in Ephesians chapter 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that's what our prayer should reflect. It's not that we shouldn't be concerned to be good citizens. It's not, but that's not the Great Commission. That's not working specifically for the kingdom. John Piper says that our prayer should reflect this. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is because we largely neglect this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that our prayers malfunction when we try to make them a domestic intercom to call upstairs for sandwiches in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything that we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in evangelism while linking us with his endless grace for every need. So that's the second thing that Cole Richard says to prepare for persecution, and that is keep the real war in mind. And the third thing is, very briefly, know your church history, know the doctrine of God's providence. Charles Colson recommended before he went to be with the Lord about 10 years ago, uh, he said, it's a good thing if parents will uh, each, each day read a little bit of the book Fox's Martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs, to your children. Let them know the price that sometimes has to be paid. Pass along to your children. Pass along to yourself. Testimonials of faithful Christians. We have good news in our adulterous and sinful generation, the same one that Paul and Timothy worked in. We must preach sin and judgment. We must preach forgiveness and life and resurrection in Christ. We must prepare ourselves to be faithful. 
as persecution comes and increases. I think probably, you know, I hope all, but I, I feel confident that most of us here uh, know the Lord Jesus. We want to be his disciples. And to you, my brothers and sisters, I'm saying these things to challenge you and encourage you as we move ahead in this, this, uh, this year and also to build you up. It's a great blessing, isn't it, to be one of God's ambassadors. And maybe some of you here, I don't know, are not disciples of Christ. And you maybe feel like as you sit here that you're kind of on the outside looking in. Um, but you don't know Christ. And this message that I've described, this commitment that I've commended, the good news, the gospel is, is alien to you, but you need to hear it. This is for you to hear. Let me assure you, there was a time when all of this gospel stuff, this good deposit was alien to me too. And it was offensive to me. But as other people who were Christians shared the gospel with me, as I would hear sermons, etc., etc., as the Holy Spirit began to convict me of sin, and as, they, as people talked about sin and death and eternal life in Christ, God brought me to a great realization that I needed a Savior, and I needed to call on Him, and I needed forgiveness, and I needed righteousness. I say to you, in 2023, if you have not come by faith to Christ, you need this too. Without Jesus Christ, you are helpless and hopeless still. You have no hope except from the God who created you. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you repentance. He offers you new life. He offers you righteousness through his son. He says to you, just as he says to people around the world in his word, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Come to him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to bless you. His son says, come to me, all of you who are weary and, and weighted down and, and burdened, and I will give you rest, because without him, you have no hope. Let's consider these things now as we look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Where would we be without the gospel? Where would we be without you? So we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit's power we will think about this word, particularly, Lord, what we've uh, considered in 2 Timothy chapter 1, but throughout your word, Lord, have your will in us. Help us to be faithful in the up times and the down. Help us, Lord, to boast in you. Help us to live for Jesus Christ and grow in his grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.